As a kid, I grew up in South Bend. Because my parents moved around so often, I went to eight different schools before college. Every other year, I was a new kid in school, forced to meet new friends and develop new relationships. After about a decade in the business world, experience taught me that surviving as a new kid and thriving in the business world were really pretty darn similar. The key to both was establishing good quality relationships. And that's really the heart of the message today, your relationships. Not only your personal relationships, but also your work relationships. And by the time you leave here today, you'll have three new ideas on how to grow and guide those most important people in your life. But before we begin, I need to ask you three questions. How many lighthouses are there in the world today? How many of those are here in the United States? And which state has the most lighthouses? Anybody want to take a stab at the number of lighthouses there are in the world today? Yeah. That's real close. Actually, 50,000 lighthouses in the world today. <laughs> that was good. Um, Anybody want to know how many lighthouses there are in the United States? Of the 50,000, how many are here in the U.S.? Yeah, that's actually closer. There are actually 1,500 here in the U.S., and the state with the most is? Okay, Maine, California. Uh, did somebody say Iowa? <laughs> yeah, okay. I did hear it. Michigan with 312. And because lighthouses must be built to withstand harsh weather conditions like piercing rain, violent storms, and as we saw last year, hurricanes, they have to be built on a rock-solid foundation. Now, for those of you that are listening on the Internet or the CD, we've got a kind of a crude drawing up here of a lighthouse, and uh, it's really going to be the focus of our time today. Of the 50,000 lighthouses in the world, how many do you think are exactly alike in size, shape, color, and produce the same beacon pattern and the same foghorn pattern? None. Sea captains call that the unique character of the lighthouse. Now, think back to the last time you were on vacation or the last time you saw a lighthouse in person. Did you see the thing running up and down the coast trying to get the attention of the ships, or did you pretty much see it stand tall and shine its light? In other words, the lighthouse knows its purpose. And before lighthouses were totally automated, the lighthouse keeper <coughs> had a number of daily tasks to perform to keep it running smoothly one of which was to remove the dirt, the salt water, and other impurities that would hamper the beacon from shining out into the dark night. When the glass was clear, it was able to attract the attention of the sea captains. And then and only then was the lighthouse able to do what it was made to do, and that's guide ships into the harbor. And that's the framework of the lighthouse leadership principle, the five secrets to growing and guiding people. And what I'd like you to do with our time this morning is think of Think of this in two different dimensions. Think of yourself as a lighthouse among your sphere of interaction. But also think of your work or your business as a lighthouse. <clears throat> and you'll see how the two kind of uh, correlate there with the different principles. Now, I don't know the people in your life, but I do know one thing about each one of them. Research shows that everybody you and I know is experiencing stress in at least one of the five main storms of life. It's either job, money, marriage, health, or family. And in order for you and I and everybody we know to survive these five main storms of life, we have to be built on a rock-solid foundation 
which is our relationships. Now, we've all heard that life is about relationships, right? I believe that. God taught me something a little different than that. He said life is all about relationships, the right ones and the right priority. See, my focus before was on doubling a, an income or a bank account, trying to get a bigger house, trying to get a, uh, a bigger car, and uh, chasing celebrities all around the, the United States from New York to L.A. And that was the focus. Quote-unquote success was the focus. And it, uh, it turned out to be pretty darn empty. And so by the grace of God, he showed me what the most important things in life were. He said, first build a relationship with me. Then build a relationship with your wife. Then your children. And then everybody else. And if we go to God's word... In God's word, in Matthew 22, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So plain and simple, as men, our highest priority is to love God with all our heart and all our mind. The second thing he said to me was, Once we have that relationship squared away, I want you to build a relationship with your wife. If we go to Ephesians God's word says, in Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know how much Jesus loves each and every one of us, correct? He knew us before we were even born. And that's how much we ought to be loving our wives after we love God. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think of your top five most important personal relationships right now. If you have a piece of paper, scratch out your top five most important personal relationships right now. Go ahead and do that right where you are. Your top five most important personal relationships. Okay, after you get that done, I'd like you to lean to somebody next to you and share with them the name of the person who is your number one most important personal relationship in your life. Go ahead and do that now. If you've got your five down, just lean to somebody next to you and tell them your number one most important personal relationship. Okay, that's the easy part. That's the easy part for today. Now what I'd like you to do is think of your top five most important work relationships. Who are the five people that you need to build good relationships with in your work to have a very peaceful, very successful, or a good experience at work over the next 12 months? Who are your top five most important work relationships? It might be a, an assistant, it might be a boss, it may be a coworker. Go ahead and write those down now. Top five work relationships.
Okay. This may take a little bit more time, and we're going to do something with this next week. So make sure you come back with your top five personal and your top five work relationships all uh, just scratched out on a piece of paper. The reason I ask you guys these questions is because it, it's a very important thing to consider because what God taught me is that 90% of your peace, of your joy, and your true fulfillment will come from your rock-solid foundation of relationships, not from the new car, not from the, the promotion, not from your title, not from the things that we sometimes think will bring us the happiness, the peace, and the joy. You know, many times when you ask folks that are trying to uh, accumulate multi-million dollars in their account or a billionaire, really what they're after is security. Really is what they're after is peace. And so what God taught me is concentrate on your most important relationships, first with him, then my wife, then our children, and then everybody else, and he will give us amazing peace, joy, and true fulfillment that surpasses all human understanding. When you think of your business, it reminds me of the last time I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago speaking to a group of CEOs. Architects and engineers know that the taller you build a building, the deeper and wider the foundation has to be. And the same thing is true with your business. The more successful you want it to be, the deeper and wider the foundation of relationships needs to be. And just like what would happen if the lighthouse has cracks in the foundation, eventually the structure could crumble if they're not fixed. The same thing is true with your work, your business, even your family. If there are cracks in the foundation of relationships, the integrity of your structure might be at risk. When you think of the people that you've been given the privilege to lead, it reminds me of a book by Randy Frazee called Making Room for Life. He said we suffer from crowded loneliness. That's when we know thousands of people, but we don't really know them. Typically, we don't know our four closest neighbors, and typically we don't hang out on porches like our parents did when we were kids just running in the neighborhood. And it reminds me of a gentleman I used to do business with in Indianapolis. We'd go to lunch and he'd take his cell phone. It'd ring three or four times, and guess how many times he'd answer it? three or four times. He'd go say hi to everybody he knew in the restaurant. He was Mr. Big, Mr. Important. And you know, as I reflect on why I didn't enjoy those lunches as much as I should have, one of the things that stuck out was that he was physically there in our conversation, but not mentally present, focusing on me. And that leads us to the first idea on how to grow any relationship in your life, whether it's a relationship with God, whether it's a relationship with your wife or somebody at work. It's a three-step easy idea. Plan time, spend time, and be present. Don't get blinded by the simplicity of it. If you're like me, if it doesn't get on the calendar, it doesn't get done. If you don't plan time to spend with God every day, guess what? There's not a lot of time at the end of the day to do that. Second thing is, if you plan time, we've got to follow through and spend the time there. Nothing destroys our relationships more than when we promise we're going to do something and we can't follow through, like... Uh, I, what I used to do is I'd promise Jill to be home by 5 o'clock for dinner, and I'd get home at 6, 7, 8 o'clock with a different excuse every night. And so make sure you're following through with your commitments. And the third thing is be present in the conversations. Have you ever gone home and had a, a long list of things on your mind that you had to do, and you, you, you saw your wife or your kids, and all you saw were lips flapping because you were concentrating on something else, what you have to do before they, after they go to bed and so forth? So just make sure you're present in the conversation. And uh, we're going to get to something next week about measuring the strength of your relationships. 
And uh, the key is not where the strength of your relationships are today. It's growing them on a consistent basis by planning time, spending time, and being present. But our number one most important relationship needs to be the Lord, needs to be God. What happens sometimes with Christian men is that we feel like we're doing all this work for God. We get caught up in several Bible studies. We get caught up in doing things at church. And then when you ask sometimes, hey, how's your one-on-one quiet time with the Lord? Oh, man, I'm too busy. It's just kind of odd, isn't it? Because God's number one highest priority for us is that one-on-one personal relationship. So what God has revealed to me is that if I don't have time to spend with him every day in quiet time, then I'm too busy. Period. End of story. And then if I don't have time to spend with him and my wife, Jill, to build our marriage on a consistent basis, again, then I'm too busy. And then if I don't have time to spend with the children on a one-on-one basis, on a daily basis, then I'm too busy. So ask yourself, have you been too busy in your life lately to spend with the Lord? Have you been too busy to spend time with your spouse? Uninterrupted, one-on-one time, without the TV, without in in commute somewhere on a daily basis. And we'll get to the discussion part about that. We'll look back at your last three days and where you've spent your time. And many times as Christian men, we say, God's my number one priority, and my wife's second, and my children are third. But then when you look at the time that you've spent over the last three days, it's a little different sometimes. So we'll walk through that at the end. The second secret to growing and guiding people is that None of the 50,000 lighthouses are exactly alike. They differ in size, shape, color, flashes of light, foghorn pattern, beacon pattern. No two people are exactly alike. We all differ in strengths, abilities, skills. God wired us a certain way for our vocation. We'll get to that in a minute. But the, the most peaceful people celebrate their uniqueness and shine their own light. And it seems like the people that are still frustrated are just trying to be like somebody else. So celebrate the unique character that God gifted you with because there's only one of you. If you want proof of that, just take a look at your thumbprint. Look at the swishes and swirls. It's been said there are between 4 and 6 billion people on the planet, so that means there are between 8 and 16 billion different thumbprints on the planet today. That's absolutely a God-sized thing to me. Research shows that 80% of employees' best ideas are never shared with their employer, their company, their supervisor. And one of the reasons is because supervisors today, leaders today, don't take the time to understand the unique character of the people that they've been given the privilege to lead. And we've all been in situations like that where somebody just didn't understand us. And the question to ask yourself is, how can you expect to lead, motivate, and guide people, the people in your life, if you don't take the time to understand the unique character of that person. Uh, We're going to talk about purpose for a minute, and then I'm going to briefly talk about attracting and guiding the way Jesus did with the 12 disciples. And we're going to leave that really for next time. So I'm going to show you the four ways that Jesus was attractive and the six ways that he developed and motivated and guided the 12 disciples or 12 apostles. We're going to save that for next week. But before any lighthouse was ever built... The architect had to understand the purpose of the structure. He had to understand what the role was. How far out did the beacon needed to travel to get the attention of the ships? The architect had to understand the weather conditions it would face. 
The same thing is true with you. You were made for a purpose. Why on earth are you here? What were you made to do? Many of us have read Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, and there are five main purposes that we have as children of God. I'd like to focus really on our vocation. Many of us are like Michael Jordan when he played baseball. He's a little frustrated. The game didn't come to him as, as well as basketball did, and he just seemed a little bit out of place. And many times as men, we don't listen to the Lord and understand what the unique character that he gifted us with for a specific vocation that's perfect for us. So if you're not clear with where God has you, if that's the purpose for your life, I would encourage you to spend time with him in prayer. I'd encourage you to seek wise counsel, men who have been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I would encourage you to read God's word for clues. But God has a specific purpose for every person in this room, every purpose, uh, a purpose for every person on this planet. And I believe we need to seek his face more to understand what that purpose was. You can never go wrong by spending more time with the Lord. It took me a long time to figure out the purpose that God put me in my marriage with Jill. We've been married 10 years and hope to be married another 50 years. And the first couple years uh, were a little rough, mainly because I was a jerk. And uh, some of you might be able to relate, I don't know. Um, but it took me a long time to figure out, almost eight years to figure out the purpose in my marriage is to love Jill unconditionally. Just to love her unconditionally. Simple, clear. And those of you that have been married any length of time understand what it's like to be in a spirited debate or intense fellowship with our spouses. <laughs> and if you can just remember the purpose in your marriage, it will help you bite your tongue. It will help you get through that little rough spot. Uh, to get to God's best for your marriage. And now for the first time, we understand what two become one really means in God's word. So I would encourage you to understand your purpose in your marriage, your purpose uh, in your vocation, and just your purpose here on earth. Because obviously God had a plan, God had a purpose, and you play a specific role in his large plan. What I'd like to do is just really briefly talk about how Jesus attracted people, and how Jesus guided people. And we're gonna, really going to dig into that next week because we've got a little bit of discussion to do here. But um, basically, a lighthouse leader is not somebody who talks about their title and talks about, you know, look who I am. Follow me because of all my credentials. See, many times the world says, these people have all these credentials, so they're worthy to be followed. Well, Jesus was a little bit different. He did four things to give him the most attractive personality of anybody to ever walk the face of the earth. He would go speak, and there'd be 5,000 people there ready to hear him speak. And back there, there were no planes, trains, and automobiles, so people were walking, they were riding in a boat, or they were riding on an animal to get there. And that's, a, that's the equivalent of you and I showing up next week and then walking to St. Louis to watch a speaker and then walking back 12 days later. It just doesn't happen anymore. So he had such an attractive personality. But scripture shows us that he did four specific things to draw people into him. And you'll see next week, it's easier to influence people when they're drawn to us than when we're trying to beat them over the head about how good we are. So I think you'll really enjoy that next week and look forward to having you back. The fifth secret to growing and guiding people 
is that once the lighthouse has a rock-solid foundation, a unique character, it knows its purpose, it's attracting the attention of the sea captains, then and only then can it do what it was made to do, and that's guide the ships into the harbor. Now, I just want to put this in perspective. God's given me about 30 hours worth of content that we do at men's retreats. I work with leadership teams in corporate America. And so we're trying to squeeze all this into a 20-minute thing. So just bear with me here. This is kind of a challenging thing. But only when these things in the lighthouse are taken care of can it do what it was made to do, and that's guide the ships into the harbor. So next week I'm really looking forward to diving into the six ways that Jesus developed, motivated, and trained the 12 disciples. I just want to wrap this up with a quick story about Pat Riley. When he went to, uh, obviously he's the current champion from the Miami Heat, coach of the Miami Heat, and uh, when he went to Los Angeles, it was the year after they lost to the Boston Celtics, and he was trying to figure out how to motivate them. And I'm sure he used this same thing with this year's champions. He walked into the room and he said, look, we're going to win the championship, but I need your help. I need each one of you to get 1% better in the five key areas of your game. And if each one of you can get 1% better in your free throw shooting, 1% better in your jump shot, 1% better in your defense, we will win the championship. And he walks out. And some of these athletes, you remember who some of the athletes were at that time. They looked at each other like 1%. Does he know who I am? I can get at least 10% better. So it was achievable. It was believable. But he went out and they won the championship. And what happens when 12 people each get 5% better over the course of the year? It's a 60% improvement in a professional sports team, which is unheard of. So my challenge to you is, what would happen if you just focused on getting 1% better in the five key areas of the lighthouse over the next 12 months? What if you just focused on getting 1% better at, at developing your most important relationships that you've identified? What would happen if you just spent focus on understanding the unique character of God, of your wife, of your kids, 1% better this month, and 1% better at understanding your purpose, maybe in your marriage, maybe at work, maybe in your family, and 1% better at attracting people the way Jesus did, and 1% better at guiding the way pe uh, people the way Jesus did. It could be absolutely amazing. I just want to uh, quickly share with you and I believe this is Jesus talking directly to you. It's in Matthew. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And Jesus is talking directly to each and every one of us in this room. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Thank you very much. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to uh, get together, learn more about you, learn more about each other. Thank you for these awesome relationships that you have um, formed here in Kokomo and continue to form. And Lord, I pray that you would just, uh, your favor would be with each of these men in the room here. I pray that you would, uh, you would allow them to spend a little bit more time with you today, tomorrow, just to, uh, just to get to know them and for them to get to know you, Lord. I pray that you would just make their schedule in such a way that they would be able to uh, feel comfortable spending 20 minutes, a half hour, just to listen to your voice, 
just to read your word, whatever it is, Lord, because you just want to build a one-on-one relationship with us. It's very simple. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just be with us during this time of discussion, and I pray that uh, we wouldn't feel embarrassed to share some of the things that we probably should be sharing. And Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to ask some questions of our fellow brothers that uh, maybe we wouldn't normally do that. And Lord, I pray that you would just be at the center of the conversation here for the discussion. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.